Now from the Milken Institute, responding to COVID-19, conversations with Mike Milken. Once a week, I have a call with about 100 CEOs that I started right when we began this crisis. Really gave everyone visibility into the various different supply chains within healthcare. And we made a number of policy changes as a result of those interactions. That's Bruce Broussard. He's the president and CEO of Humana, one of America's largest health insurance companies with more than 20 million members. For Humana's over 65 members, Broussard's focus is on the fundamentals, getting them food, prescriptions, and basic medical care, and helping them avoid loneliness. He spoke recently with Milken Institute and Faster Cures chairman, Mike Milken. Bruce, thank you for joining us. I'm glad to be here. People might not appreciate the enormous responsibility your company has. To the best of my knowledge, you're spending $45 billion a year. This is used to provide a wide range of services to 10 million people who today are in high-risk groups. Since the start of the coronavirus, we now know the most at-risk group for serious side effects are patients over 65. We can only imagine, Bruce, the enormous strain this has put on your organization. Bruce, talk to us about the scope of Humana and how you've adjusted operations to deal with the coronavirus crisis. Well, Mike, I will tell you, as you mentioned, individuals over 65 are the most vulnerable for both their health reasons, but as our members are usually have less resources, they're also vulnerable as a result of the items outside of the coronavirus directly, and that's lifestyle, access to health care. We, on a daily basis, help them with that. But in this particular time of the virus, what we found in the 3,000 nurses that we have making outreach calls every day is that there's really a number of areas that our members are looking for assistance on. One is around the area of access to food. As you well know, a lot of the social distancing requirements in the local areas have caused grocery stores and other areas to be something more difficult to get to. Transportation is an important part of that. So our ability to deliver food has been one of the most important things we can do today. We've delivered close to 30,000 meals over the last number of weeks. The second is around loneliness. Many of our members are alone and in their homes, and that can become quite of an impact on their mental health. And so having a phone call and being able to talk to somebody sounds so simple, has been so impactful. The third is around prescriptions. And a number of providers' offices have been closed as a result of this for us to access providers at home to get the prescriptions and then be able to deliver it to their home has been a a relief for them. Those areas there I would outline as being the most important. And then the last is solving medical issues that come up. I'll give you a great example how resourceful our team was. We found out that someone needed to get their stitches removed or it was going to turn into an infection. We used a telehealth intervention to be able to get to them. We found a nurse in the area that was willing to come into the home. And between the telehealth and the nurse, we were able to remove the stitches. Again, sounds simple, but when you're 80 years old, it becomes much more difficult. Bruce, as I've looked at Humana's operations over the years, I noticed that you had customer centers and shopping malls. With malls closed, how has this shifted? 
we have guidance centers throughout the United States that really is a social setting for individuals and in addition, any kind of assistance they need, whether it's through their insurance benefits or for that matter, just in lifestyle issues. And a lot of our guidance centers offers things like Silver Sneakers, which is an exercise program, offers the ability to interact around a hobby, cooking classes and those kind of items. And what we've done is we've taken those and put them virtually. We have also have an outbound team that is part of the guidance centers that is reaching out to individuals, checking if they want to participate in the classes, and then helping them with the technology. And that has been a great extension, trying to convert a, a group that has traditionally not been very digitally savvy to now becoming much more digitally savvy as a result of the constraints that social distancing has put on society. And I do see this crisis as being an opportunity for us to be more of an assistance in that area than in the past, because I believe people will be seeking it more. Bruce, we've been very focused on the distribution of food. And it appears today that food banks in America are now serving more than 10% of the population. I know you have worked on delivering food. Have you focused on making sure people are getting the nutrition they need? Is it healthy for them? One of the benefits of this is our ability to customize the food to be healthy. And what we have found is that people have been very accepting of it and have not heard one complaint about the healthy food. One of the areas we've spoken about a number of times is the issue of loneliness, of isolation. It's not just senior citizens. It's the grandkids who want to see their grandparents but can't. Lori and I get to see our grandchildren on FaceTime, but we don't get to see them in person and it's different. What are you seeing with your members? We find a lot of our members not in the fortunate circumstance that you were mentioning that grandchildren and their kids are active with them. We've been in a number of circumstances that it's only them. We find that in the lower resourced areas, less money and less access to the resources in totality. So those individuals find to be at most risk. Just last week, we reached out to one of our members. And in the conversation, our nurse could sense a sense of depression there. And then the individual actually called back about 20 minutes later. And then he started showing even further depression to a point that he was then talking about suicide. We had an intervention and they're both with a behavioral health specialist. We also got somebody to the house to assist him and be able to help him as the behavioral side, ultimately getting him care. But it's those circumstances that without the proper intervention we're finding will go south very quickly. As hospitals have tried to reduce elective procedures to get prepared for COVID-19 and do more telemedicine, How has this affected people that are in your care? People do need to have interventions and through telehealth, through things like taking pictures and other resourceful matters that are virtually, we found to have great opportunities for us to have those interventions. We are concerned that some of the delay in care is going to have some consequences. And what we've done is we've taken our members and broke them into different cohorts. So the most vulnerable that are there, we're spending a lot more time with them to ensure that we can help if we know that they have a 
predominant ability to give foot ulcers. We're spending a lot of time on educating them on foot ulcer care, obviously on, in areas of cardiology and ensuring that people are taking their beta blockers and following up on them, that they're not gaining fluid in those areas. So there's a lot of outbound calls we're having that are inquiring on how they're feeling and so on. And when we do need an intervention, we will then have an intervention with a physician, whether it's uh, getting somebody there, getting a nurse there, and or a telehealth visit. When I think about some of the companies I've been involved with for decades, one thing effective companies do is share stories of team members going above and beyond. During these difficult times, I'm sure your 50,000 team members have some powerful stories to tell. Have you tried to share these stories with all of your employees? Once a week, we have a, all 50,000 people get on a call, and we have in that call a story about what we're doing and some of the great heroism that we have found in our various different associates. And we found that those stories set forth not only what we're doing, reminds us what we should be doing. I find that to be really helpful. Bruce, when did you first recognize the challenge that lay ahead with the coronavirus? When did you and your team start talking about how to prepare and how to address it? It was in the middle of January. I remember getting on the phone with our team that runs the crisis preparation side. And I said, listen, let's get prepared for this. I mean, let's watch it and understand it and think through what are the different steps we're going to need to take. And from that point on, we began to start just watching it and then saying, what do we need to do if this does come about all the way for our members to our associates? And then as it progressed through February and then the beginning of March, we said, okay, well now it's time to put this in full crisis mode. And that range from moving people home to reorganizing and getting a concierge hotline set up for our members. But we were prepared to execute on that starting in January, but it was iterative as we saw it, as we went through it. I can't imagine starting in the end of February and beginning to start executing on what we had to do during that period of time. One thing that we measure a lot is our satisfaction with our customers. And what I'm proud to say is during this period of time, moving 50,000 people home, we got about 30,000 people in offshore services, and we were able to keep our net promoter score at the same level and higher as a result of the caring and empathy that we put in there as it was operating before. And it operates the best in class in our industry. And that, to me, just is a great example of what that preparation did. And our engagement scores, which today are at about 93%, maintained and actually last week they were at about 95% as a result of our efforts. So that preparation allowed us to make this transition without an effect on our members or our employees. Bruce, how will this change the way you run your business in the future? We are a big believer in agile work. They've seen the power of bringing a team together around a common goal that's tied to a customer problem and the way that you can execute that and do that in an iterative way. We've also seen, obviously, the virtual nature of this and how you can work virtually, but as importantly, the virtual nature of being able to interact with your members and your customers overall. And then the third thing we've seen is that the ability to use a much more, a lot of analytics and being able to pinpoint 
the interventions that we feel you need for your members and being much more personalized and being able to approach that has really brought our ability to get to the problem quicker for our member and be able to have an intervention there for that. So I would say that there's some great learnings and any company should take advantage of it. Bruce, one of the podcasts we did was with Tom Wyatt, the CEO of Kindercare, and he told us that many of his early childcare centers have stayed open in order to serve frontline workers. How are you interacting with your partners? Have you seen more collaboration to help each other across business and different industries? I think the general business community has come together in so many different ways and really has lifted up in assisting in this crisis. Once a week, I have a call with about 100 CEOs that I started right when we began this crisis because I was confused on what was going on. I didn't have all the visibility. And I found by pulling a cross-sectional group of CEOs together, it really gave everyone visibility into the various different supply chains within healthcare. And people could learn about testing to what's going on in providers to what's going on with the supply chain on PPE to what's going on from a payer point of view. And we made a number of policy changes as a result of those interactions. And we also feel that it is our responsibility to help stand up the system. So one of the things that we've been very focused on is, is how do we make it easier for people to get access to care, whether that's waiving our co-pays to waiving for COVID overall, any kind of out-of-pocket expenses. We've funded about a billion dollars of accelerated capital into the providers to ensure that they have the cash flow in this time of a depression utilization. We've also reduced a lot of administrative burden that's in the normal course of this, and they've taken that away, all for our partners to be able to orient into getting care and the access to care for the people that need it. One of the things we've seen, particularly in bioscience research, is collaboration between people who theoretically were competitors with one another. This is one of the things that gives me hope that we're going to find a solution. This teamwork you have been talking about. Have you ever seen collaboration between companies, competitors, and the healthcare industry at this level before? I have not. I have not. And I would extend that to the federal and state regulatory agencies. Working with CMS and Alex and HHS and the administration and just the waivers that they've come out to allow this industry to expand and be much more oriented to the digital side and remote care to the industry. I'll give credit to, to the supply team, McKesson and Cardinal and other ones of their coordination of delivery of supplies. So if one has a bunch of masks and the other doesn't and their customer needs it, they will supply their competitor customers the mask. I see the same thing with the various different labs out there if one needs reagents or not. This ability to create a system that is oriented to a common ground has just been so powerful, so powerful. I know in our organization, you know, oriented to helping providers and their needs and you know now we're loaning money to providers. I just find it to be very motivating in so many different perspectives and a learning opportunity for us as we think about going forward. Bruce, as I mentioned before, what we have seen in bioscience is unprecedented. The willingness to share patents or to waive patents 
And the response, as you said, at HHS, at BARDA, at FDA, at CDC, everyone working together to try to accelerate a solution. When I think back over five decades, I have never seen cooperation at this level. And I agree with you, it should be a sign of great optimism that we are rising to meet this challenge. Bruce, I wanna thank you for joining us today. Your company plays such an essential role in protecting the lives of senior citizens. And we wanna thank you again for yours and your team's service to our country. Thank you for doing this. I think your ability to bring others together and listening to different perspectives will makes us all better. And so we appreciate you doing that. Find more episodes on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or MilkenInstitute.org slash podcast, where you'll also find the latest COVID-19 updates. Until next time, stay safe and healthy.